The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello, and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of Dorito Mussolini to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the argument from antiquity, also known as argumentum ad antiquitatum and appeal to tradition. Yeah, so as the uh, alternative name suggests, the appeal to tradition, this is where someone basically says that because something has been going for a long time or because it's the way it's always been done, that means mm. it's the right way to do it or the best way to do it. Right. To borrow a quote from a Tim Minchin song, White Wine and Sun, mm-hmm. just because an idea is tenacious, it means it is worthy. That's right. not a good yep. way of reasoning because there's lots of reasons why something could have been done a long time ago or have been done for a long time, but there are better ways to do it or there are alternatives yep. that are just as good. So... Hmm. For our first example from Trump, we have one of his examples for for why walls are so good. And he kind of goes through phases of why he decides that it's a good idea to argue for the wall. And this was during a period where he thought that it was a good idea to, to connect the idea of walls to the idea of wheels. They say a wall is medieval. Well, so is a wheel. A wheel is older than a wall. And I looked, and every single car out there, even the really expensive ones that the Secret Service uses, and believe me, they are expensive. I said, do they all have wheels? Yes. Oh, I thought it was medieval. The wheel is older than the wall. You know that? And uh, there are some things that work. You know what? A wheel works and a wall works. Wheels are older than walls. Well, first of all, they're, no, they're not. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the thing that makes makes the uh, the Secret Service's cars expensive is that they've got walls <laughs> built into the doors. Absolutely. Surely, yeah. That, so yeah. yeah, yeah. First of all, the first walls that we found archaeologically are probably around yeah. nine thousand years BC. Um, the first wheels right. that there's evidence of are about three to five thousand years BC. So. Walls are much older than wheels. (laughs) Right. And and yes, walls do work for particular purposes. They work for separating out areas so that you know which part of the land is your land and which part is your neighbour's land. They still work just as well as they always did for that kind of thing. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for stopping illegal immigration or drugs getting into the country, especially 
when you're actually not making a wall, but making a steel fence with slats, with holes in the slats, that you can just push drugs through if you wanted to, when <laughs> part of the entire point was to stop the drug trade. So yeah. walls work yeah. for specific purposes doesn't mean it's just because they're old, just because they've been used for a long time, that they're the right answer to a particular problem that people are having at the moment yeah. or that people or, perceive there. Or the, the thing that you should go to as the best Yeah solution there's a I can't remember the song but it says if you build a wall we'll build a ladder uh if you, oh it's a song by grace petrie who's a british kind of angry folk singer which is the best way obviously of folk singing and um uh, chorus is you build, you build a wall we'll build a ladder you build a wall we'll build a bridge yeah so actually and you know absolutely that is yeah. one of the the drawbacks of walls is mm. in part because they've been around so long, people have had quite a long time to figure out how <laughs> to get over them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they've come up with I'm ropes and all kinds of different yes. things that they could yes. use. Um, most yeah. of which, because it's a simplistic problem, it's, it's also very, quite simplistic to defeat. It, there is, you don't need yeah. expensive technology or difficult um, plans to, to get over a wall. You do really yeah. just need a ladder. <laughs> Another yeah. uh, example from Trump is he has had a bit of a problem with the uh, modern aircraft carriers that they've been building for a particular reason. Right. We're building carriers. We're building one. They're using an electric catapult and an electric elevator. Number one, I can't imagine in the case of battle, it must be very delicate. Okay. And, you know, steam's only worked for about 65 years perfectly. And I won't tell you this because it's before my time by a little bit, but they have a $900 million cost overrun on this crazy electric catapult. I said, what was wrong with steam? You know, they're always coming up with new ideas. They're making planes so complex you can't fly them. You know that. No, it's, I admit, they want to show next, next, next. And we all want innovation, but it's too much. Yeah, bloody innovation. New yeah. ideas. Coming around here. <laughs> yeah. Coming up with new solutions to old problems. What's wrong with the old solutions? So, yeah, yeah they have been using steam for a long time on aircraft carriers to launch planes. And the reason for this is because right. um, planes need a certain distance to get up the speed required to take off. Mm. And aircraft carriers are short. So they use yep. a steam powered kind of carriage that they attach to the front of the plane to pull it really fast um, along the deck right. so that it can get up to speed to, to take off. A bit like flicking a, flicking a toy plane yeah. off an elastic band. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what they've used for, for quite a long time. But they came up mm -hmm. with a better way of doing it. And for the mm -hmm. most modern kinds of aircraft carriers, the newest class of aircraft carriers that they're building, they came up with an electromagnetic version. Whereas in the old carriers, first of all, they were... They, they generated a lot of steam anyway for the engines and they mm. had a section where they would take some of that steam off and store it in another tank and, and put it in a place where that they, where they could use it to launch the planes. So it needed quite a lot of infrastructure built into the ship to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's got to be quite thick, I would have thought, because if they're holding the steam under pressure, absolutely. it's going to be quite a weighty tank there's a considerable amount of engineering that goes into it and it is it's mm. heavy and it's it's um complicated and he said yeah. we've used it for 65 years without any problems there there are problems 
it's it's fixable yeah. by people who work on the ship because it's designed to be fixable by people who work on the ship. Because if yeah. you were an aircraft carrier and something goes wrong, you'd need to be able to fix it in situ. Fix the thing, yeah. The thing with the new um, electromagnetic ones is that it needs a lot less ship space to be able to do that, mm. to have a, a section underneath yep. the deck where essentially what you've got is a series of, of magnets, electromagnets, which you which turn on and off in sequence to pull a an electromagnetic carriage along to launch the planes. Right. That takes a lot less space underneath the ship. It doesn't require separating out steam from the power of the ship, basically, as well. Um, so all of that infrastructure is gone. It's a lot lighter. Also, it's a lot more adjustable with steam. Basically, yeah. they they push the button and it and the steam goes, and that's it. Once you've pushed it, <laughs> your plane is going yeah. that fast. With yeah. uh, with the electromagnetics, it, it can be adjusted all the way along the deck. So if it if by seventy five percent of the way along the deck it hasn't got up quite enough speed, electronically yeah. it will increase the speed to make sure that that's happening. It can launch heavier planes than they're currently able to launch with the um, steam system and it can also launch lighter ones than they're able to currently launch with the steam system that would just be blown apart by the steam system because because the pressure that the electromagnetic one uses can be adjusted so much yes when you're developing something like this there is a huge cost to doing that to developing yeah. and getting it right and, and there have been problems in the testing of doing it and it did overrun in terms of budget but it will end up being a lot cheaper and it also yeah and a, and a lot more flexible yeah and, and it, a better uh, a better solution to the problem and it puts a lot less strain on the airframe of the plane as well because it isn't a sudden right. yeah. acceleration from zero to, to yeah. going as fast as it can it can be worked so that it, it starts slower and then accelerates to the speed it needs to get to. So yeah. by doing that, they actually mean the planes all last longer as well. So you save an enormous amount yeah, of money right. doing that. <laughs> yeah, because you're not stretching the planes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The trouble yeah. is that Trump doesn't take any of this stuff into account. He has just no. seen this thing. Oh, they're having problems with this electric thing. Let's just use steam. It was fine. Yeah. Without what was actually wrong with thinking that? about it. Yeah, well, there were lots of things wrong with it. Yeah. yeah. And to dismiss it on the basis that in the heat of battle, electricity is quite delicate. Yeah, well, I mean that's a bit well, of personal incredulity as yeah. well because he's saying, you know, I can't, yeah. I can only ima- I I can't can't imagine, I can't imagine how yeah. it would be safe in battle because it would be delicate. But yeah, that's just because he he hasn't thought about the fact that maybe the people who design aircraft carriers might think of that. Yeah, <laughs> and is is the is the rest of it not running on the electricity like the the radar and the sonar and the communications yeah, it's steam, and all steam the, all that. Yeah. It's all steam, <laughs> steam yeah. radar, steam radar yeah. steam, <laughs> those things that whirl about on the top of the thing. It's just steam. It's just steam. So just because something has been used for a long time doesn't mean the newer thing isn't worth doing. Our final Trump example is actually from Kellyanne Conway. It's came out of the argument over the uh, adding the citizenship question to the census. And she went on Fox and said this. Why can't we just ask the question the way it was asked for 50 years before the Obama administration yanked it out of there? We've been asking questions like this. The American Community Survey every fifth year asks a similar question. Even if all of what she said was true, just because it's been asked for a long time doesn't mean it's right to be asked. Doesn't mean that the reasons yeah. that they want to ask it are legitimate, valid reasons. And it doesn't make it a good thing to necessarily do now. You still have to evaluate whether yeah. it's the right thing to do now. 
actually, as usual, it's quite amazing how many bits of that short sentence and, and a half yeah. she got wrong. <laughs> because she said she said they've been asking it for 50 years until Obama yanked it out of the survey. Right. So first of all, it was asked from 1970 to 2000, which is 30 years, not 50 years. It was taken out before Obama got into office in 2005. And yep. it wasn't even asked on the full survey. The full, sur- full, full census goes to all households in the US. And yep. the citizenship question was only asked on the longer form survey that goes out with right. the census to about... 17, 18% of households and asks more details. The the main census has not that many questions. The last one had about 10 questions on it. And it's just basic information about who lives there, who's there on this particular day when you do the census, basically. It is a count, an enumeration of people in the country. So the the more information that they ask, that goes on a longer form uh, questionnaire, which you also have to fill in. um, And it does give them information, but it absolutely doesn't cover the entire population wouldn't give them anywhere near the kind of information they want in order to justify reducing the the funding they give to areas where there are less uh, naturalized citizens so she also says that they've been asking it every five years on the american community survey first of all (laughs) they've been asking it every year on the american community survey because that goes out every year not every five years and also that only goes out to about 1.8 percent of the u.s population so that is nowhere near the kind of information that they get from the census it tells them stuff about the general makeup of areas but it's not anywhere near the kind of information they wanted to get by being able to put a a question on the census to ask, are you a citizen? That is amazing. So in in 23 seconds or so. (laughs) The 12-second clip, actually, that was. (laughs) Oh, is it? Is it? There's the amount 23 of stuff she got wrong was really amazing. It's quite impressive. <laughs> well, all of it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and she manages to, to uh, concoct a, uh, a dig at the Obama because it's saying the implication of things being done uh, over a long period of time, traditionally we've yeah. always asked this until someone yanked it out. And yeah. the implication is taking it out is a bad thing because purely on the basis that it's been done for 50 or 30 or yeah. 125. Yeah, so the, the last time it was asked on the census times. was uh, on the long-form section of the census was 2000. The first time it was asked on the ACS was 2005, which was before Obama. What is she like? And she says it so cheerfully. She is the, she is the archetypal cheerleader. She's like an evil twin <laughs> cheerleader. Yeah. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. Well... It had to happen. Boris is the new prime minister. More on that later. And um, so this is uh, on the steps of number 10. He made a speech saying, I've been to see the Queen, as is the tradition, and and she has asked me to form a new government and I've accepted and all that stuff. So, and I, I listened to this thing, which is just an amazing onslaught of rhetorical t- trickery, really. Um and I was listening throughout and I knew there would be uh, an appeal to tradition. And he says this. And after three years of unfounded self-doubt, it is time to change the record, to recover our natural and historic role as an enterprising, outward-looking and truly global Britain. 
generous in temper and engaged with the world. No one in the last few centuries has succeeded in betting against the pluck and nerve and ambition of this country. Wow. So it's that's yeah. that's quite a generous <laughs> way to describe the natural and historic role of Britain. <laughs> Particularly the uh, engaged with the yeah, world, engaged except, except in for anyone putting our flags places and going. Yes, this is ours now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, reco- recovering, so he's appealing to. So he's the, most of the rest of the speech has been about. Well, finally. Now that Theresa May has gone and we haven't got to bother with that pesky withdrawal agreement, we can just leave with no deal, which is, is what I think is what's going to happen. And uh, and the other thing, that he kind of does this backhanded argument from antiquity when he says no one in the last few centuries has succeeded in betting against the pluck and nerve of our you know little Britain. So it's, it's basically saying... For centuries, we have been plucky and we've had the nerve to go ahead as a small nation and, you know, fight our way, punch above our weight. So there's this this notion, the whole of the Brexit thing, I would um, argue, is an appeal to, to, to tradition. It's the White Cliffs of Dover. It's Vera Ling singing, there'll be bluebirds over it. There's spitfires flying across. There's um, Henry V fighting, you know, once more under the breach. It's, it's all that faux tradition stuff yeah. um, that is fueling how we don't need to be a vassal state. We're not a slave, you know, rule Britannia. We're, you know, Britain never, never, never shall be slaves. It's that notion that we are in charge. And he's so bought into that because he thinks he's Winston Churchill who used the same rhetorical devices to keep people going during the war. He's so bought into that that, he can't help but believe it. He believes the hype and he thinks there's no more required of him than to just remind us of these things and everyone will fall into place. The whole of Europe will just go, yeah, do you know what? You're right. And they're not going to. They're just going to see it as bluff and bluster and um, sound and fury signifying nothing. So my second example, so it's it occurred to me that I need to be balanced as a you know as a uh, right thinking BBC journalist and be balanced in all things. So whilst Boris has been becoming the new prime minister, everyone's bemoaning the fact that Jeremy Corbyn isn't, and that the the whole of the uh, right wing media seems to be out to get him one way or another. And this meme has popped up a lot. I've seen it on YouTube. I've seen it on Facebook. Seen it on Twitter. It's the five times. Jeremy Corbyn has been on the right side of history. And it what it does, and I think the implication is that here he is, he's been doing this stuff which has turned out to be the right thing. And the basically they're saying past performance is a guarantee of future performance. Yeah. The very thing that investment companies always tell you to look out for and they go well yeah you know uh, we have a history of a three percent return on your savings and then there's a little asterisk at the end and at the bottom it says past performance is no indicator of future performance particularly with a no deal brexit so 
what this meme lists are the fact that Corbyn campaigned against apartheid. He saw through the dodgy dossier for the weapons of mass destruction in the Iraq war. He organized the biggest demonstration against it. He was noted in Pink News that he was an early champion of LGBT rights. He opposed the introduction of university tuition fees, which subsequently have gone up three times, twice. And he campaigned against austerity. And the meme says at the bottom, even his critics can't deny that Corbyn is a principled man who have been on the right side of history. <laughs> and you, go, you certainly you kind of go, yeah, they, that's, that's kind why of they're thing. critics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what they do. Yeah, they can't deny. And you kind of go, okay, I can see that he is a principled man and he has been on the right side of history. I suspect that just as with Boris's thing, there's a bit of cherry picking going in, going on in there. And you kind of go, yeah, they turn out to be the right side of history, but they could just have easily not been. Yeah. You know, because just because he did that um, and because I guess the, the appeal to tradition is that Corbyn traditionally votes on the right side of history, so therefore we should continue to vote for him or continue to have faith and believe in him and get him to be prime minister ultimately well good um, on you for for was. arguing in in opposition to your political views that's great and there you uh, go yeah, yeah i know good. i'm actually yeah. gonna gonna defend that uh outside wow bit. see that's um, yeah see that's why i did it because <laughs> <laughs> right well yes i'm sure there is some cherry picking going on here um if this list was um produced in an intellectually honest way where mm. it it um, doesn't ignore times when he he was on the wrong side of history, arguably, or, or did things which could be seen as negative. If if actually it is an honest list which says, look at all the times that that, that he was made the right decisions, and and everyone actually these days now agrees with the things he did then and at the time they didn't. That I think is reasonable to say. Look, this person has a track record of making good decisions and and being uh, progressive and tolerant and good um, and principled. Mm. We can assume that that's the kind of person he is, and therefore will make similar decisions in the future. The trouble is that these kinds of lists are very rarely created in an intellectually honest way. Uh, because yeah. the reason they're created is to make a particular political point. So it yeah. will always be yeah. one side saying all the negative things about a person and the and the other side saying all the positive things about them. And they are kind of appealing to the weight of history, the weight of the individual's personal history within the realms of politics um, for these particular examples. So that's that's the tradition that that's being appealed to you're expected in a way to not question the validity of the list. You just They just add one on top of the other and go, oh, well, he did this and he voted the right yeah. way for that and he um, demonstrated against this and he argued that that shouldn't be done. Um, and you kind of you, – so with each one, you go, it's another – it's another brick in the wall. It's another stone on the pile of antiquity where you're going, ah, right, well, when we go and look at that particular pile of stuff, the you know the man who made those decisions is a fine, upstanding figure of our society and ought to be 
whatever leader or you know or he this this pile of detritus means he isn't a fine upstanding um figure of a man and he ought not to be the leader yeah um and of course you can read them in either depending on what your political persuasion is you can read either list um to suit your own particular uh viewpoint Absolutely. So that you know, so the, tr- the the tradition itself isn't a fixed thing. It, you read it as a tradition of well, that just betrays his um, socialist extremism, um, verging on communism, or that just betrays his uh, adherence to one nation conservatism. So yeah, it depends know, you, who's writing you, the history, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. It's a fallacy in the wild It's in the wild A fallacy in the wild It's just a fallacy <laughs> there we are the doors there with this is the end it's because it, i was inspired that because we are living in the end of days <laughs> and <laughs> and it happened and then i thought on a cheery note ah well even though the doors were singing that this is the end and um you know francis Falk coppola used it for apocalypse <laughs> now it wasn't the end we're still here that's you know that's 50 years on yeah it's still yeah, and and it's, there's going to be another re-release of Apocalypse now this summer in the cinemas. So really, yeah, oh, they, they re, oh, re go and see it yet again, it again. So in the fallacy in the wild, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective, and well, we're going kind of slightly faux political this week because our mm. first example is from Parks and Recreation, and in. The Pawnee, Indiana Constitution. They have a section talking about an, a, a tradition as it has become, or a, an event mm-hmm. where they poured tea into a body of water. They wrote it in an ambiguous way. And so it has become tradition to instead throw a person called Ted into a body of water. <laughs> and in this particular episode called Article 2, Ted objects to this. So, as Ted rightly says, there that's the that's the way it's always been done. Is not a good reason to keep doing something. Yeah, and, uh, and there's there's the counter right there. Yeah, isn't absolutely. It? That's the uh, 
That's what you've just said. In this episode of Parts and Recreation, there is a bit of pushback from the community because they like Ted mm. Day and they they like the tradition of it. And uh, actually, they kind of have a hearing about it and decide whether what they're going to do about it. And, and they come to a, an agreement that they will continue to do it, but it will be a voluntary thing that people can kind of represent Ted and be thrown into the lake mm. instead of uh, just grabbing someone called Ted and throwing him in the lake. <laughs> so everyone is happy because tradition is upheld, but it's not infringing on some people's rights. So that. I like, I like the fact that he says, I, and I've had a chat with all the other Ted's. <laughs> How many Ted's are there? And you, you given that this is a tradition, yeah. you would kind of think that people would stop naming their kids <laughs> Theodore. Yeah, well, in fact, you know. he says, I don't even go by Ted. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Our second example in Fallacy of the Wild is uh, from Dr. Oz, because this kind of alternative therapy, alternative medicine, uh, uses the appeal to antiquity, the appeal to, tra to tradition a lot. All this hour, I'm taking you through some of the world's oldest cures for modern day problems. Remedies that I believe will change how you think about getting healthy. From acupuncture for pain to Chinese herbal medicine, we are covering it all. And we're starting off with secrets from an ancient healing practice from India. It's called Ayurvedic medicine. And it's all based on your body type. So medicine has improved yeah. over time. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that medicine that was used thousands of years ago is somehow better than modern mm. Western medicine mm. Is insane purely because it had been practiced for thousands of years prior prior to modern yeah, medicine. That, cause yeah, because it's it comes basically from this idea that either it's been used so long, it's been it stick around so long because it worked, which mm. isn't how things work like that. Because there's mm -hmm. all kinds yeah. of placebo yeah. effects and cognitive biases and stuff like that that mean people yeah. think this thing works until it's actually tested, and then people go, "Oh, actually, it didn't do anything." Um, and but we have things now that do stuff, and we can test them, and yeah. we can show that they work. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah. there's this sense that we've kind of somehow lost this wisdom that old ancient cultures had, that they knew mm. they were in balance with nature, and they had they knew what you know their body needed and stuff. And these days, we're somehow corrupted, and we don't know that stuff. It's all obviously it's, mm. it's complete nonsense. We are able now to look at how well something works and we have through that process dramatically increased life expectancies through through both nutrition and increased in, uh, efficiency of medicine and the, I, I still i can't understand why people still adhere to this idea that these these old out-of-date medicines work better they um in uh, zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance uh, robert persig and if you haven't read it read it he kind of makes this distinction between classic and romantic and the classic view is of nuts and bolts so basically he's the you know in the motorcycle maintaining he kind of quite likes doing that and the romantic view is i just want the thrill of the open road and all that kind of stuff so there's this this idea that modern things there's two characters in there that are uh, the main character's friends, John and Sylvia, and they have a dripping faucet in their apartment and it's been dripping for all the years he's known them and they haven't fixed it because they say they can't be dealing with all that. Basically, they're hippies and they think that 
the the dripping tap is uh, technology impinging upon the natural state of humans, the the real way of us being in tune yeah. with nature and all that kind of stuff. And yet, and what Persig says is that actually the Buddha. Uh, the Godhead is you exists just as much in an internal combustion engine and a, a motorcycle gearbox as it does in a mountain and a flower, and you know and why wouldn't it? For me, when I read that, I suddenly went, ah, yeah, I get it. That's the there's this idea that uh, the people that hold that okay, you've got all this modern medicine, it may well cure everything, it may well stop people dying of the simplest things. But it means we're out of touch with the natural state of things that we've had for thousands of years. And the only verification of why this is the natural state of things is because it happened for a thousand years. So the natural state is to die of smallpox and all that kind of stuff. And so interfering with that is interfering with nature. And that's wrong. It's not. It's understanding what's going on and fixing it. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre belief that has, well, has been um, around for a long time and sustains, unfortunately. So uh, I have an example which isn't either too, too far away from politics. So this is uh, the British comedian Stuart Lee, um, who we love. We talked about the UKIP party. There was a particular member of UKIP called Paul Nuttall, uh, and he was talking about uh, immigration and the influx of Bulgarian workers uh, into the UK. And his statement wasn't they should, you know, go back to where they came from, um, which is, you know, not like Trump. He was they should stay in Bulgaria and, you know, see to the uh, upkeep of the Bulgarian economy. They should do what they can to make sure that the Bulgarian economy thrives before they leave uh, Bulgaria. So Stuart Lee, what Stuart Lee does is, well, the, here, here we go. This, uh, listen to the clip. And before them, 400 million years ago, when the first fish crawled up onto the land, our land... <laughs> You get back in the sea, you finned cunt. Coming up here onto our land with your barely developed lungs and your hopes and dreams of a bad tomorrow for fish. Get back in the sea. My name's Paul Nuttall of UKIP and I say we need to ensure the brightest and best fish stay in the sea and concentrate on making it aquatically prosperous instead of coming up here onto their land and beginning the process of evolution that will eventually lead to all life on Earth as we know it. <laughs> there you go. So that's... <laughs> So, in a way, it's kind of appealing to tradition to you know stay where you are because you've been there for hundreds of thousands of years, <laughs> millions of years. Stay there. That's where that's the good thing. Instead of coming yeah, up with onto our, our land, don't yeah, don't stop coming over here. Yeah. with your finned ways. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. And I'm, I'm currently, I think you'll find if we look back at the past of this competition, you'll realise that I'm 
been winning for yeah, the I'm longest to get period back of to time. The tradition of you losing. Because that yeah. was that was a tradition which went on for a long time, <laughs> and it was ah, perfectly good for me. I was working well. It perfectly, it worked perfectly. Well. <laughs> this newfangled winning. Why did winning you have to go changing? Is, I know. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not. It, it, why, not yeah, it must be very delicate <laughs> in battle. Yeah, but I'm practically halfway. Twelve out of twenty-eight. Yeah, surely yeah, forty-ish yeah. percent at the moment. Uh, yeah. yeah, you've got an opportunity to go up to oh, um, to forty five percent, I think, with this one yeah. if you get this right. So, okay. and I think this, okay, this if you do get, get this right, this would be five in a row, which would definitely be a record for you. Oh my word! That's you see, I have a tradition of doing yeah. four or more in a row. <laughs> so in uh, we haven't really. There's not a theme this week as such, but the last time we did this was from a, a speech that Trump gave to the. Um, National Republican Convention Committee. And this is from the same speech because it was so batshit crazy. There was a lot of options for me. (laughs) So in the tradition of batshit craziness from the same speech. So. Yeah, why go anywhere else? It's all there, folks. (laughs) So statement number one. Okay. I was in China and China's not doing well. We're doing well. We have all the records, 22 records, I think we have. And I said to President Xi, I call him the king of China because he's the president for life. So that means he's the king. It's a great thing. I won't say that I'm thinking about that because that would be the big story tomorrow. (laughs) President Trump says he'll be president for life. So I won't say that. But we've sold millions and millions of hats. (laughs) Statement Statement number two. Wind's not so good. And you know, you have no idea how expensive it is to make those things. They're all made in China and Germany, by the way, just in case you... We don't make them here, essentially. We don't make them here. And by the way, the carbon and all of the things flying up in the air, you know, the carbon footprint. President Obama used to talk about the carbon footprint and he'd hop on Air Force One, a big 747 with very old engines, and he'd fly to Hawaii to play a round of golf. Okay. Rather than going in a massively heavy car... (laughs) To uh, uh, Mar-a-Lago, yeah. Statement number three. Okay. Sean now is working on the Reciprocal Trade Act. If they charge us, we charge them. Very simple. They charge us, we charge them. And I think you're doing great on it, Sean, and I appreciate it, man. Great job. But he's the tree climbing, you know, these characters that go up the trees, then they come down. He said, no, going up isn't the hard part, it's coming down, because if you miss, you're dead. And he said he's missed about four times. (laughs) I can't get through that. I can't get through that without laughing. <laughs> without, without going, what? Okay. What? Okay, this, okay. Right, that's not Sean Spicer, is it? I'm just in, just picturing Sean Spicer up a tree. That, yeah, that's, oh, okay. Uh, right, all those things up in the air, the carbon footprint. Why, why would you have footprints in the air? But they're, anyway, okay. Right. But it is all so crazy. How can they be possibly not made up? Uh, okay. Right. Uh, wind's not so good. Expensive rate, all that. Hmm. Okay. I, I think the President G, President for Life thing, sounds convincingly familiar. The Sean up a tree one is just so crazy. It's got to be true. Okay, on that basis, I'm going to plump for the tradition of saying number two is the one you made up. Okay, so of the other two, which are you mm-hmm. more confident about? 
uh, uh, number one. Okay. So yeah. number one, yeah, is yeah fake news. Oh wow! Whoa, yeah, that's the one I'm very good indeed. Wow, nice. That is uh, that is perfectly yeah, the, the only utterly bit convinced. Of that, I think that appeared in the speech was we've sold millions and millions of hats. <laughs> <laughs> You see, I thought that complete non sequitur at the end was what nailed it for me. Yeah, I was just like, oh yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, what's on his hats? President Trump says he'll be president for life. Is that on the? I think it was. What? I think he was talking about MAGA hats. You know, the the kind of oh, yeah, okay. make America great again hats. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so, king, yeah, king of China. He'd love yeah. to be the king of king of America, wouldn't he? <sighs> yeah, twenty two so, records. Oh uh, well, oh no! So that so means that, the number two. No when way! You that means the wind is true. Is is true. No. Wind's not so good, and you know you have no idea how expensive it is to make those things. They're all made in China and Germany, by the way. Just in case you, we don't make them here. Essentially, we don't make them here. And by the way, the carbon and all of the things flying up in the air. You know the carbon footprint. President Obama used to talk about the carbon footprint. And then he'd hop on Air Force One, a big 747 with very old engines, and he'd fly to Hawaii to play around the golf. So, almost needless to say, but Obama did not fly to Hawaii to play around the golf. No, I don't know. I'm <laughs> not even going to ask. No. I knew yeah. that he didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas Trump... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. yeah, but the carbon and all of the things flying up in the air, so... Yeah. So, and also, <laughs> statement number three was true. That means that's true as well. And Sean now is working on the Reciprocal Trade Act. If they charge us, we charge them. Very simple. They charge us, we charge them. And I think you're doing great on it, Sean, and I appreciate it, man. Great job. But he's the tree climbing, you know, these characters that go up the trees and they come down. He said, no, going up isn't the hard part, it's coming down. Because if you miss, you're dead. And he said he's missed about four times. So he's presumably so dead. He's <laughs> dead. We're after the first one. Yeah. And then let alone the other three. What the hell is that all about? This is about Sean Duffy, right. who is a, um, a Wisconsin congressman. And, yeah. and he is indeed a five-time tree-climbing champion. No. Yeah. He has been a competitor on the ESPN's Great Outdoor Games. <laughs> right, is that a bit like the 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 strongest man, world's strongest man competition that we get here at Christmas? Uh, yeah, probably. Kind of yeah, the, yeah, quite yeah, similar. Yeah, where, with those kind of weird things that nobody except really built people with enormous beards yeah. do. So Sean Duffy was on. Um, he was originally he was on the Real World, the American the MTV reality TV show before he went into right. politics. But yes, he is a yeah. he is a five time tree climbing champion. And, and former reality TV star. But he's missed about four times. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. So out of the five. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. That's wow, that's brilliant, isn't it? And now he's, where is he now? He's, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, he's a Wisconsin congressman now. Yeah. Fantastic. Have they got a lot of trees in Wisconsin? I, you know, I mean, sufficient so. to climb up. Yeah, I think I think he probably gets quite a, a lot big, of practice. A big lumber county. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, well, I don't mind losing to that. Well, that, that was a good one. That means, yeah. unfortunately, and to, and to yeah. find out the other two were real. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a bonus. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. And, and oh, well, I'm appealing to tradition. That means, tradition yeah, we're back to tradition. We're back to, oh. to you losing. Uh, and, and you are now, I think, on 41%, uh, which is still oh. very good. Still above chance. You're doing well. It's not bad. 20, oh, yeah. 20, yeah, there you go. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called Muller's Testimony is Not a Logical Fallacy because this week... Oh, this is great. Robert Muller, Robert S. Muller III testified <laughs> in front of Congress uh, in seven hours of testimony in wow. front of two um, congressional committees and largely stayed within the bounds of his report, which is what he said he was going to mm. do. And his testimony has had a lot of... Um, people saying that, oh, it was very, you know, it was a total letdown. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't important. It didn't say anything new. It wasn't what the Democrats were hoping for. And I think the the response is a bit like the midterms because it really mm. depends what you were expecting from it. If you went in yeah. thinking that Mueller was going to say um, Trump is a criminal, if he if he wasn't president, we would have indicted him and you should impeach him now then yes, it was very, very yeah. disappointing because he didn't say any of that stuff. Yeah. But given no. the fact that before he started, he said, I, and when he gave his original public statement in May, he said, um, I will not be saying any more stuff about this. <laughs> the report yeah. is my statement. Yeah. I have nothing more yeah. to say and I will not be, be drawn on it, basically. And, yeah. and um, the Justice Department, issued a kind of uh, a letter saying that he was not allowed to. They that they were basically putting executive privilege over everything other than what was in the Mueller report. Mm. So he wasn't allowed to talk about anything else. Yep. And in his opening yep. statement, he said, I won't be talking about anything that wasn't in my report. I won't be talking about the origins of the report or Fusion GPS or any of that stuff. Didn't stop some Republicans asking him questions about it. Largely, the Democrats asked him stuff about his report because he he refused mm. also to read bits out of his report he wasn't going to say things and essentially i think he was just trying to avoid a, a soundbite he was trying to avoid mm. a section where you get miller saying you know we need to get rid of trump and also he's very and he's very mindful of being correct yeah. and not being able to be pulled up because if if he did do that even on one occasion then you can be sure that everyone would then just rip apart the um the integrity of yep. his entire report and on so, the one occasion where he did actually say a little more than he meant to say when ted Liu asked him if the only reason that he didn't indict trump was because of the olc decision that you can't indict a sitting president initially he said that that was the reason and then when he came back for another session, he, he actually made a statement saying, although it's true that, that the OLC memo stopped us from indicting, stopped us from making a decision on that, I, I wasn't trying to imply that if there wasn't an OLC memo, we would have indicted. I was just mm. saying we didn't come to a conclusion based on that. He was being very careful not to give any kind of soundbite that would make him the story yeah um that that would on either side that would let him would let the democrats say look Mueller's saying we should impeach or let the republicans say look Mueller said he was totally exonerated yeah which yeah. was very unlikely to happen yeah so he did stay well within the scope 
of the report and he only kind of slightly strayed around the corners of it a couple of times but it did come across to some people and certainly this was the the push from the republicans mm. after that he was kind of hesitant and halting and uh, several republicans including kellyanne conway and, and some others claimed that it was like he clearly has Alzheimer's or something. He clearly ah, didn't know what was going yeah. on. He didn't know the report. He was He's obviously mentally deficient, which... <laughs> I think they're probably... Talk, were they not kind of... Yeah, I don't know what they were watching. Yeah, they looked up the top of the but, page and went, oh, no, that's Trump. Yeah, so I'm going to play a clip of Jerry Nadler's questions yep. for Muller and his responses. And, and you can hear in this how difficult it is for him to get exactly the right words that he wants to use. In fact, you were actually unable to conclude the president did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? Well, we, uh, uh, at the outset, uh, determined that we, uh, when it came to the, uh, the, the president's culpability, uh, we, needed to, uh, we, needed, we needed to go forward only after taking into account the OLC opinion that indicated that a president, a sitting president, cannot be uh, indicted. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. So, I mean, he's very clear mm. in that, in that yeah. last couple of bits, you know, no. Did not it is a weird that. double negative, isn't no. it? That kind of, it did not yes, yeah. say that yeah. you could not. So, Well, that's why in, the, you in the video of that, um, you can see Muller is actually kind of, he's trying to pass that yeah. sentence. He's trying to actually figure out exactly where the double negatives exactly. are to make and sure how that he doesn't to, say the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, quite. And, and I'm sure, you know, this is definitely could be argued as my cognitive bias is my special pleading for Muller. And and I can see why people on the other side look at that and, and look at him searching for the right word and think, you know, he's, he doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't mm. know what he's talking about, mm. but it comes across to me as he is being very careful about choosing his words and saying the right thing. And he does not want to at any point given give the wrong implication yeah. he wants to make exact absolutely sure that the, the words he's choosing are the correct ones yeah. Yeah. and are going to say the right thing yeah so so when he gets to the, and the follow-up questions are okay so does that mean that you couldn't find obstruction and he goes no and and does that mean you exonerated him no so he kind of you know knows exactly what he means and yeah you yeah. can see that they're going to pounce on it and in fact trump did pounce on the and trump jr yeah. as well pounced on the fact that when Mueller kind of overstretched something he came back and said i didn't wish to imply and trump said he changed his story he changed the story yeah and you yeah, just he know changed that his story yeah by by clarifying yeah one thing that he'd said that went a little bit the, the, over he didn't, what he'd he intended. Yeah, or he didn't wish yeah, he didn't accidentally for it to sound like other people would yes. impl imply yeah. um, he meant something else. Yeah, which seems to me it's like the you know it's the it's the sign of a very good legal mind. Yeah. That you know he's the, he's the adult in the room. My. Um, I saw a cartoon, I don't know where it's in the New Yorker, maybe, I don't know, a, a cartoon of Muller with his kind of, you know, deadpan face as the Sphinx, which mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's quite good because, you know, the Sphinx is um, it, timeless, intractable, enigmatic and a damn good lawyer. 
well, no, this thing this isn't a damn good lawyer, but that those are kind of uh, traits yeah. of a very good lawyer. That he's just he's rock solid in the face of all the well, what was tantamount to goading from the Republican side, where they're desperately trying to. Yeah, to, a lot of the Republicans were using it as an opportunity to yell at him mm. or push conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton mm. Con- mm. conspiring with the Russians somehow to make her lose the election. Yeah. Whereas the Democrats tended to use it as a way to get things onto the record, yeah. to get things said in public. Yeah. They were reading out sections of his report saying, is this accurate? He was saying yes, for the most part. Mm. Or, or sometimes they were kind of trying to clarify things. The, the, I think the most interesting soundbite actually came from a possibly accidental thing that, that came from a Republican, uh, Ken Buck, who is, uh, I think, Colorado congressman. Was there sufficient evidence to convict President Trump or anyone else with obstruction of justice? We did not make that calculation. How could you not have made the calculation because with the regulation? OLC opinion, the OLC opinion, Office of Legal Counsel indicates that we cannot indict a sitting president. So one of the tools that a prosecutor would use is not there. Okay, but but let me just stop. You made the decision on the Russian interference. You, you, you couldn't have indicted the president on that, and you made the decision on that. But when it came to obstruction, you threw a bunch of stuff up against the wall to see what would stick. Well, and that I, is I, fundamentally I would unfair. To, I would not agree to that uh, characterization uh, at all. What we did is provide to the attorney general in the form of a confidential memorandum our understanding of the case. Uh, those cases that were brought, those cases were declined. And uh, the, uh, that one case where uh, the president cannot be charged with a crime. Okay, but the uh, could you charge the president with a crime after he left office? Yes. You believe that he committed, you could charge the president of the United States with obstruction of justice after he left office? Yes. I'm really sad that Ken Buck stopped himself from saying, you believe he committed the crime yes, exactly. that he yeah, be yeah, yeah. for. Yeah. Well, he kind of did that with the, yeah, with the reply to the first <laughs> question when he set up the first question and did all that. And then he said, yeah. well, how could you not? And he goes, yeah. and he go, oh, what? And he's, going, he's not He's not getting that, is no. he? Because the, the answer was, you know, for on obstruction, we couldn't make a decision because we weren't allowed to indict him. Yeah. And and Ken Buck is saying, but you made a decision not to indict on the collusion. And what you could kind of feel, everyone was thinking, yeah, yeah, they made a decision because there wasn't enough evidence yeah. on collusion. Whereas on the other thing, yeah. on <laughs> yeah. obstruction, they had to go they just check. weren't allowed to indict. Yeah, so they had to go check. <laughs> go, we found so much yeah. stuff, you know, sufficient that when, <laughs> when he leaves office, that's when we'll get him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you still get called so, Mr. President once you've left, but you've yeah. You and none and of the reporter asked Trump if he was concerned because Mueller had said that he could be indicted after he left office, and Trump just completely denied that that had been said Whoa. and called the reporter fake news. But we didn't say so, I'm going to be president for life, so he I'm never going to leave office. That, no, uh, should have done that. <laughs> so a lot of the Republicans they really did not argue about any of the facts. Mm. They did not try and push back and claim that the stuff that 
that um, like the obstruction of justice things that Trump was being accused of were unfair or didn't happen or any of that kind of stuff. They did not argue the facts at all. They tried to argue Mueller's kind of conflicts of interest and the the team of angry Democrats. Kelly Armstrong argued that all of Mueller's team were in favour of Hillary and against Trump. And Mueller actually pushed back on this. You must be aware by now that six of your lawyers donated $12,000 directly to Hillary Clinton. I'm not even talking about the 49,000 they donated to other Democrats, just the donations to the opponent who was the target of your investigation. Can I speak for a second to the hiring practices? Sure. Uh, we strove to hire those individuals that could do the job. Uh, I've, been, yeah, okay. I've been in this business for almost 25 years. And yep. in those 25 years, I have not had occasion once to ask somebody about their political affiliation. It is not done. What I care about is the capability of the individual to do the job and do the job quickly and seriously and with integrity. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. Love it, but it goes, and with integrity. Just like, yeah. yeah. Because it doesn't matter what no. their personal views are. That's such a Trump they thing to say, isn't it? Facts. That we go, yeah, you yeah. see, because of your, you know, because you're of Mexican origin, then you're, your decisions Absolutely. can't be trusted because you're, uh, and you go, well, hang on a minute. Trump used to be a Democrat um, donor. And the trouble is, unless you can find someone who has never expressed a political opinion or donated to any kind of political mm. cause, yeah, is are you saying if, in Kelly Armstrong or Trump or, or any of the, the sycophants for Trump, are they saying that the only people who should be allowed to investigate them are people who support them? Exactly. Who yeah. Are yeah. Already registered Republicans yeah. or have donated to Republicans because that's just as insane. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> well, that's Trump's the preferred point is, method. Yeah. Isn't it? Point is, choose people with integrity, um, yeah. and and then it doesn't matter what their political yeah. affiliation. And I love is. the fact you said I've been in this business for twenty five years, which is probably longer than you know. You could be, you kind of get. I think they cut away back to yeah. Kelly at that point, yeah. and he going, yeah, when he that was he was ten. Or something like that. He had yeah. short pants and he was in a box cart. Yeah. And that, yeah, skinning his knees whilst Muller was. So, yeah. So I want to finish with a couple of uh, clips of Adam Schiff because he opened by laying out some facts of the case and just getting Muller to, to just accept that they were things that he had written about in the report. And, and it, th- I think this was a pretty powerful section. Mm. When your investigation looked into these matters, numerous Trump associates lied to your team, the grand jury, and to Congress? number uh, of persons that we interviewed in uh, our investigation, it turns out, did lie. Mike Flynn lied? Uh, he was convicted of lying, yes. George Papadopoulos was convicted of lying? True. Paul Manafort was convicted of lying? True. Paul Manafort was, in fact, went so far as to encourage other people to lie? That is accurate. Manafort's deputy, Rick Gates, lied? That is accurate. Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer, was indicted for lying? True. He lied to stay on message with the president? Allegedly by him. And when Donald Trump called your investigation a witch hunt, that was also false, was it not? I'd like to think so, yes. Well, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? It is not a witch hunt. (laughs) Yay. That's pretty clear. (laughs) Laying out all of the, all of these people lied for yeah. Trump, lied to cover up things that they'd done, and I love in the way that to, it, to stay he, on message. He responds to it. He even detaches himself from the response in a way. He, he detaches himself from the truth of the matter because he yeah. he says yes, he was convicted of having lied, 
And then, Absolutely. and then Schiff says, yeah. and in so his was work he choice, convicted? And he goes, yes, that's true. Yeah. 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 He's, he is saying, this is a fact. This is something we found out not. Yes. I believe they lied. Yeah. It's yes. He was convicted of lying. Yeah. So, yeah. And then uh, Schiff ended with this. Russia committed federal crimes in order to help Donald Trump. Uh, when you're talking about the computer crimes uh, in the charge yes. in our case, absolutely. The Trump campaign officials built their strategy, their messaging strategy around those stolen documents? Uh, I'm, I, generally, that's true. Again, he's making the case that even though there wasn't sufficient evidence to establish conspiracy, not even collusion, yeah. as we've established, that wasn't, that isn't a legal term. Yeah. There wasn't enough evidence to establish a conspiracy between Trump and the Russians. They definitely established that the Russians did interfere with the elections. The Trump campaign welcomed it and built their strategy around the help that they were expecting to get from the Russians. Yeah. There you go. Can't be clearer, really. Can it? That's a good message. For, to, I mean, it's a bad message. It's a yeah. really bad message. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good message to get out yeah. to um, Americans who, who in some cases will not have heard that because they've mm. only watched Fox News. Yeah. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. In what could be seen as an attempt to distract the media from stories of former Trump pal and noted paedophile Jeffrey Epstein, Trump appears to have picked overt racism as the theme of his 2020 campaign. After telling four US congresswomen, three of whom were born in the USA, to go back where they came from, Trump and his sycophants have lamented that you can't disagree with minorities anymore without getting accused of racism by the hypersensitive leftists. I thought this was America. Look, if you tell a woman to get back in the kitchen and make you a sandwich, you're a sexist. And if you tell a person of colour to go back where they came from, you're a racist. And if your best defence is to send creepy skinhead Stephen Miller on the Sunday shows to tell everyone how not racist you are, you've already lost the argument. Exactly. And the appeal to tradition right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this week's What's Trump Done That's Amateurish and Delusional and Embarrassing goes to solving the India-Pakistan Kashmir problem, or rather making the problem worse. India are now at pains to deny that Prime Minister Modi ever said anything to the White House's own water mitty about intervening on India's behalf in a conflict over the disputed territory of Kashmir, which has run probably since partition in 1947. Thanks to his unique combination of ineptitude and overconfidence, Trump may well have set back any chances of peaceful negotiations continuing by the same 70-odd years. Look, Donald, just as Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan gave up cricket to become a politician, perhaps you should give it all up and try and become a golfer. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, no. No. Following the Mueller testimony, the House Judiciary Committee has filed an application to have the grand jury material in Mueller's report unsealed. Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler said on Friday... The committee is considering, quote, whether to exercise its full Article 1 powers, including a constitutional duty, power of the utmost gravity, a recommendation of articles of impeachment. When asked if this is essentially the same as an impeachment inquiry, Nadler said that, in effect, it is. Seems like someone got tired of waiting for Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, because there was a whole bunch of stuff that Mueller said, I can't talk about that because it's currently under... Investigation elsewhere. Mm, to ongoing the grand jury, yeah. 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 In a brilliant switcheroo not seen since the latest Ramones t-shirt gag, 
Trump stood in front of a doctored presidential seal at the Turning Point USA Student Teen Action Summit in Washington, D.C. The graphic quite blatantly, though subtly, featured the Russian double-headed eagle clutching a wad of cash in one claw and a fistful of golf clubs in the other. A reference to the 110-odd trips to golf venues since taking office and about a million dollars a pop extra in increased security and travel. And E Pluribus Unum was replaced with the Spanish for 45 as a puppet. In true alternative fact style, a representative for Turning Point USA told the Washington Post that the fake seal was a mistake, the result of a rushed online search. But whilst the group called the slip-up unacceptable, they maintained there was no malicious intent just when you thought the US don't do irony. It was a brilliantly seized opportunity to show the seal that was created as a private joke by Charles Lizotte, who added that the person who put it up was either wildly incompetent or the best troll ever. Either way, he said, I love them. Or as D.D. Joey and Johnny would have said in approval, hey-ho, let's go. Trump has named Richard Spencer as his third acting defence secretary since January. To be clear... That's Richard V. Spencer, former Secretary of the Navy. But given Trump's newfound pride in white pride, I must admit there was a moment where I thought maybe punchable white supremacist and alt-right figurehead Richard B. Spencer had been made Defence Secretary. To be honest, I did have to Google it before I was absolutely sure. And how fucking scary is that? You have to check that. I know. Yeah. And in a way, it kind of wouldn't have been surprising. It wouldn't have been that surprising. (laughs) Last week, Nobel Peace Prize winner Nadia Murad told Trump to his face in an impassioned explanation of the horrors she, her family and many women and girls suffered under ISIS, how terrorists kidnapped her and killed her mother and brothers. He replied, where are they now? Um... While the rest of the free world were hanging on to her every word, Trump simply missed the importance of what she was saying, i.e. that ISIS wasn't the be-all and end-all, merely the latest in a series of similarly power-hungry despots still exacting similarly harsh inequalities in the region. And rather than see the need for a long-term commitment to a global intervention on such things, he was more interested in why she got the Peace Prize, with the subtext being, oh, why haven't I got it he patronizingly added like your grandpa who's no idea what you're talking about oh you were the first to escape and maybe he's thinking oh i could escape i could win the prayer the peace prize by escaping yes please i'll happily jump over the vaulting horse for hours on end whilst you dig donny presidential bet noir ilan omar will have some competition when she's up for re-election next year and the Republicans are fielding a power candidate in the form of Danielle Stella. Here's Stella at a recent event. This is Danielle Stella. I want to make it clear, Stella doesn't appear to be in any way particularly 
mentally challenged or anything like that. So we're not making fun of someone who can't speak. That's just how she speaks. Wow. I got Second Amendment in America yeah. and stuff, but it's mostly just... Meh, 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 meh. Yeah. But Stella has all the attributes of a perfect Trump acolyte. Aside from being every bit as erudite and coherent as Trump himself, she's also a QAnon conspiracy theorist and an accused felon, having been arrested twice this year for shoplifting over $2,000 worth of merchandise. Wow. If convicted, she might have to drop out of the race due to a potential five-year <laughs> prison term. Unless, of course, Trump changes the rules to let people govern from behind bars. Actually, I'm a little surprised he hasn't done that already in preparation for his whole family heading in that direction. 92,000-odd people have spoken, and they are 0.13% of the electoral populace bringing back democratic control to the UK by voting Boris Johnson to be the latest Prime Minister of Britain, or as Ivanka tweeted, the United Kingston, which I guess is the joint commonwealth of a suburb of London and the capital city of Jamaica. With such a large mandate from the masses, Boris is not making the mistake Theresa May did and calling a general election out of some higher, less self-serving sense of intent integrity and need to gain a national mandate for her actions. Oh, no, because as John Crace in The Guardian newspaper pointed out, if a developing country had just changed its entire government without an election, we'd be calling it a coup. And if that coup had been led by a man clearly unfit for office, whom even his own family can't trust to tell the truth, we'd be calling that country a failed state. But as this, is this, but as this is the UK and the leader in question is Boris Johnson, we plead the exceptionalism of a first world democracy. Well, it's good to know that Boris is happy to continue to commit fallacies we've already covered in the podcast. Otherwise, you'd only cry. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used the fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump. And you can also connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallaciousTrump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye!